number six. You know, as you're going through the Bible and you come to certain verses or maybe certain sections of the Scripture, sometimes, I mean, we might as well admit it, not, not every subject is as exciting as some other subjects. I uh, was singing about glory, and uh, boy, I mean, that's a wonderful subject. I, you know, I think one of my favorite messages that, that I ever preached was uh, the shortest word in the Bible, oh, just oh. And uh, for some reason or another, that just, you know, struck me. And it's one of those messages you just, you, you can't ever get through. You just got to stop. But then you come, come to a subject sometimes that just, you know, like, wow, this is not all of that exciting and uh, the people are going to get bored. And, and I'm saying all that to say this, that's kind of where we're at here in the first part of, of chapter number 6. And uh, throughout this chapter, it deals with a wide variety of subjects and, and every one of them shares something of uh, practical value and I have to remind myself that uh, th- that's the purpose of this book. It's reminding us that wisdom affects every area of our life. Now, before we look at, in detail at the first section, let me just give you sort of an outline of the various subjects in the Bible. Tonight, we're going to look at the first five verses. I, I don't think we'll get beyond that tonight, and it has to do with surety. When we come to verse 6 and go down through verse number 11, it deals with the subject of slothfulness. And then when we come to verse 12 down through verse 15, it deals with spitefulness. Verse 16 on through verse 19 deals with sinfulness. And when we get to verse 20 and through the remainder of the chapter, it deals with the subject of strange women. So here we find five different subjects, all of of great importance. And uh, tonight here in this first section uh, where he speaks about surety, it's one of those things, you know, I, I don't want to drag this out beyond what's necessary, but, but I really don't want to rush through it either and miss some instructions that would be helpful. And uh, so this is something really we seldom ever think about. I mean, when's the last time you, you know, heard a lesson or a message on the subject of uh, of surety. I mean, it's just not something that we really uh, talk about, but, but here we find God dealing with it. And so to introduce you to the subject, I, I want to remind you of this. Throughout several different surveys, it's been discovered that finances are the number one problem concerning domestic disputes. If you don't know what husbands and wives argue about more than anything else, it's about finances. And and probably some of the other arguments that's not directly related to finances uh, in reality are rooted and grounded in the fact that we don't have enough money to do what we want to do. So finances enters into it. So, you know, that being the case, then we need to really pay close attention to what the Bible says here concerning suretyship and and what it says in other places about the matter of money. So there is a uh, a warning here about becoming entangled in financial affairs, the financial affairs of others, basically, by becoming surety for them. And Solomon indicates 
and we'll read it in just a minute, he indicates that we are foolish to undertake these obligations if we are unable or unwilling to fulfill them. And so in the first five verses, as he deals with this subject of surety, we find the introduction and instruction. And so let's notice the introduction, first of all, the first two verses. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of of thy mouth. Now, the the first thing I think we need to do here is to consider a little bit about the history of surety. And um, as glorious as the thought of heaven and eternity is, do you know the Bible says more about money than it does about heaven? It really does. You look at all of the parables of Christ, and if I'm not mistaken, I think like 17 of them deal with with money in some form or another. And so the Bible has a great deal to say about the subject of money, and it reminds us of the need for instruction because it relates to all of the areas of our life. And so many times we just, you know, ignore what the Bible says and forget the fact that when God, whether He's laying down a command or whether He's given a principle, and, and a lot of times, you know, somebody will look at the Bible and because there's not a specific command against this or that or telling us to do this or that, they, they, get, they get the idea that we're just free to do whatever we're, we want to do. And, and we're not because there are principles by which we are to be guided even if there is no command demanding that we do something. And in both cases, whether it's a principle or whether it's a precept, regardless, God has given us these things in order to promote social order and human happiness. And whenever we think about things like the political issues and think about domestic issues and things of that nature, we need to listen to what God says. And here Solomon, again, is addressing his son, verse number 1. Now, although the, the practice of suretyship was discouraged in the Bible, the Scriptures nevertheless permitted it. In, in uh, Psalms 119 and verse 122, I think it is, in fact makes the statement, it says, Be thou surety for thy friend. In other words, it's in the form of the fact that, you know, that's something that we ought to do. And so under extreme circumstances, the Bible permitted it. But, if it was practiced frequently or for commercial reasons, it's discouraged in the Bible. And so whenever we think about becoming surety for someone else, you know, today we'd call that co-signing a loan maybe. You know, somebody needs a loan and so they can't get a loan. Maybe their credit's bad and whatever. And you know, a lot of times that's what the case is. They can't get a loan because they don't have good credit and so to ask if you'd sign a note for them. This really struck home with me several years ago. I remember the fellow that at that time was was my best friend, and uh, he had written a hot check. And uh, so he came to me and, and, you know, naturally got caught, and he said, I'm afraid they're going to put me in jail. You know, if I don't do something about this, I don't have the money. 
you know, to pay it back, and I, I need I need a loan. Well, I didn't have any money, or not, you know, near that much money. And he said, uh, if 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 I can get a loan, would you co-sign the loan for me? And I said, well, yeah, I, I guess I would. Uh, you know, I'd never co-signed a loan for anybody before. And uh, so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm getting done for this bill. And, uh, you know, fortunately, after going to him and telling him in no uncertain terms, look, buddy, you got to do something about this because now they're coming after me because you're not paying your payments on your loan. And, you know, fortunately, it got taken care of. But, you know, that could that could have been a big problem. And so before you co-sign a loan for somebody, you need to think about at least two things. Number one, is the need legitimate? That ought to enter into the picture. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I need a loan, you know, because, I, you know, I've got a 46-inch television, but I want one of them 60-inch ones. I, I you know, I, I just enjoy the game so much better and I don't. I don't have good credit. Would you Would you sign a note for me? Uh, well, you know, I, probably the answer ought to be no. I won't. Uh, but if somebody's in a desperate situation, you know, that's another thing. But then the second thing that enters into this: not only must the need be a legitimate need, but we have to make certain that we are able to fulfill our obligation. Because it is a serious thing whenever we, you know, uh, whenever we obligate ourselves. And back then it was with the striking of hands. And, you know, I, I've tried to picture that in my mind, whether it's like high-fiving one another or, you know, like we used to do it here. Uh, I can remember in the little town I pastored in the, the first time and uh, knew the banker and everybody there. And uh, that's all they needed to know. You didn't have to go through all of the rigmarole that you do nowadays to get a loan and you know the old saying a man's word is as good as a bond you seal the deal on a handshake and that's it well you know that's what happened back then but we need to understand that we better be able to fulfill that obligation you know just taking a chance you know hoping that well it won't come to that you know they're a good friend I know they'll take care of business it'll never fall back on me you know that's not good enough you need to know you're in a position that you can take care uh, of the bill if it, if it falls on you. And, and he, here's one reason why. The first reason why, of course, is because you verbally obligate yourself. And God takes this matter of making vows uh, uh, serious, whether it's directly to him or whether it's to somebody else. Lying is lying. And so that's a serious issue. But we've always got to keep in mind that our first obligation is to our family. And we never want to put our family's welfare in jeopardy just because we're trying to, you know, help somebody else. I mean, let's face it, all of us, we could, every single one of us could take every penny we've got uh, giving it to people or securing loans for people or whatever else because there's no end to the needy people around us. So we can't take care of everybody, right? We, we just simply can't do that. Uh, so our first obligation is to our family, and we've got to make certain that we don't put them in a bind by taking that obligation upon ourselves. Like the old saying, "Don't bite off more than you can chew." And, and you know that that's what part of the problem is nowadays. Is because 
just as it was easy back then to enter into this deal by the striking of hands, giving your word, and it's a done deal, the world has made it so easy for people to get loans nowadays. And uh, you take a young couple and, you know, they get married and, and uh, I think I could safely say the majority of them, they want immediately what it took mom and dad 20, 30 years to get. And so they, they want their car to be just as nice. They want to have, you know, new furniture and what have you. And, and it's easy to get credit cards. And boy, they get the credit cards and load up the credit cards. And the next thing you know, they're in debt. And then they're fussing and fighting amongst themselves. And, and uh, somebody uses the D word. And so now, and, you know, now you've, you've got a mess in the family, all as a result of mismanaging the money. And so we've got to make certain that we don't obligate ourselves beyond what we're able to repay. So that's the introduction. My son, if. He says, if you are surety for a friend, and what have you, notice verse 2, you're snared with the words of thy mouth, taken. Notice that word, taken. You are taken with the words of your mouth. In other words, you have just put yourself in financial bondage by doing that. Now, in light of that, he begins to give him instructions that we'll look at in just a minute in verses 3, 4, and 5. But there are three bits of advice here that we're going to talk about. But in light of all of this, I think we need to let ourselves be reminded of the fact that young people do need wise counsel from, from elders. They need the older people to give them wise instruction. Uh, and uh, every one of us can think of some young couple that got themselves in financial trouble. And if they had just sat down and listened, and, and, and by the way, I mean, it ought to start in the home, uh, you know, teaching them, you know, you get a, an allowance. So, you know, if, if, I mean, if you do the allowance thing, you know, that's got to last you all week. Uh, but to do something in order to, uh, let them know that you are responsible for what you have. And because of your knowledge, your experience, and your observation as an older person, you can be a great help to a younger person. And so we need, we need counsel ourselves, and we need to become counselors to others. And naturally, you can't force that on anybody but uh, by being a good example, uh, you'd be surprised how many people might come to you for advice. You know, how do I do this and how do I do that? And the door of opportunity is open. Now, three things that we need to remember. Three words of instruction in this regard. Verse 3, here's the first thing, and that is that we need to involve ourselves in the process. Listen to what he says. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Now there's some debate as to the characters being referred to here in this verse, whether it's the debtor or whether it's the creditor that, uh, that the emphasis is upon, but I take this as to approach the friend who is in debt. You've become surety to this friend, for this friend, I should say, 
And uh, so now you've obligated yourself. And, and he says, do this now. Don't put it off. Do this now. He says, deliver thyself. In, in other words, you go to your friend and you make sure, do what you can to encourage him to fulfill his commitment. And naturally, that delivers you. In other words, he says you have been taken with the words of your mouth. You've obligated yourself. You've got yourself in this situation. Now, go to your friend and basically get out of this as quick as you can. I think that's the point. And the reason I said involve yourself in the process by that, I mean, don't just sit back and watch. Whenever it comes to our finances, we need to be proactive, and that is encourage the friend to pay it back as fast as he can, get yourself out from under the indebtedness, and uh, so be proactive. Somebody says, oh, well, I'm just going to wait and see how it turns out. Well, you might end up bankrupt or in, in big trouble, but there's a little phrase in here that normally we wouldn't even think about, but I think is of, is of extreme importance. Notice he says, humble thyself. In other words, go to this friend in a spirit of humility. In other words, you don't strut up to him and say, look, you knucklehead, I co-signed that note for you because you got yourself in trouble because you don't know how to manage your money like I do and so forth. And, and, and I'm telling you what, but if you don't pay that, you know, I, I'm going to see to it that you suffer. And you see what I'm saying? Attitude has a whole lot to do with whether we're successful or not. And so he says you go to him. He says, humble thyself. This applies to everything that we do in life. Uh, Whenever I think about Paul giving instruction to young Timothy and his preaching, and and in no uncertain terms he let it be known to Timothy that he was to speak the truth in love and, and that he was to minister in a spirit of humility. And, you know, we can, we can speak every single word the truth, but if there's no humility in it, people are not going to listen to it. And what we, what we actually do in, in, you know, in lecturing them or, you know, whatever you want to call it, what we actually do is turn around and provoke them. And you'll remember there in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, a lot of times whenever we're dealing with children, it's, you know, like we tell them to do something and they say why or whatever. And what's the stock answer? Because I told you so. Well, you know, that uh, might be all right on, on occasions and what have you, but you know, just because we are an authority figure over our children does not give us the right to not deal with them with a humble spirit. And so he says, as you go to your friend and you try to get yourself out from under this financial bondage, he says, do it in the spirit of humility. Not that, you know, don't leave the impression with him that you're smarter than he is or better than he is. In other words, don't put him down and boast about yourself, go to him in a spirit of humility. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, that'll work when nothing else will. You know, you make all of the threats you want, but uh, usually threats don't work, uh, not for very long. So involve yourself in the process. Be proactive whenever it comes to your finances. And secondly, look at verse number four. The second thing is don't delay. 
here in verse 3, he actually says, do this now. But, but verse 4 elaborates. He says, give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Uh, delay can be a dangerous thing. You know, I, I, they say confession is good for the soul, and so I'll do something good for me tonight, and, uh, and, and I'll confess something. Whenever, whenever I was younger, I can remember we had a member of the church several years ago. It, uh, uh, I really don't even want to think about this situation, but it came up. But somebody made the statement said uh, that was working with me uh, all of the time at that time and said, uh, Brother Stone is the most organized preacher I've ever seen in my life. And uh, no, no snickering now. Uh, and at that time, I wasn't quite so bad. When I was younger, you know, if there's something to do, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to do it right now as quick as I could, get done with it. And I had all my sermons, you know, filed neatly, all in books and all of my studies and everything. But you, you know, the older I get, uh, <laughs> the more I want to procrastinate. And, you know, I just I, I don't like dealing with unpleasant things. I want to put it off. I want to put it on the uh, on the back burner and uh, and you know take that, take that as a as a warning tonight. Don't do that. I don't always you know practice what I preach like I should. And uh, this is one of those areas. It's real easy to get in the habit of saying, you know, this is so unpleasant. I just don't want to deal with it. And especially something like this, where he says, "Go to your friend, make sure your friend." In other words, establish the line of communication. Go to him in a spirit of humility. Get yourself out from under bondage. Well, I don't know about you, but the, the, that doesn't sound pleasant to me. I, I'd rather get out of that. But notice, he says, "Do this now." Right? He said, "Don't even sleep." It's kind of like the old saying, you know, "Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today." Well, that's you know, that's pretty good advice. If it's something that needs to be done, uh, then we need to do it as soon as we can, and that applies to all of the different areas of our life. Now, naturally, we can't do everything in a day, and we can go to the extreme and be a perfectionist and drive ourself crazy and everybody around is crazy. We can do that. Uh, but even that is better than neglecting our responsibilities and making our problems worse because we don't want to deal with it. Well, I'm going to get a lecture and I get home. I just know this is coming. I'm getting ready for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm really glad Beth can be here tonight, though. She. Uh, she hadn't been feeling good in the last four or five days. She's really been feeling bad, and I I didn't dream she was going to come tonight, or I'd have chose something else to talk about. Huh? What? <laughs> she taking notes? Oh Lord, help me! Yeah, <laughs> she's going to remind me of all of that. Well, it, it's the truth. I I confessed. I, I mean, I the older I get, the more I struggle with that. And so you all know how to pray for me now, right? Don't delay. That's the point. Now, number three, the last thing tonight, and that is be diligent in your effort. Be diligent in your effort. Notice verse number five. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird 
from the hand of the fowler. Have you ever seen a wild animal caught in a trap? Whenever I was a boy, it was a common thing that we had what we call rabbit gums. Back then, it was a box trap that we would catch rabbits in, and it was a common thing for you know a lot of the boys. There were ponds around and things like that, and so a lot of them would catch muskrat and things of that nature. And so you know, just in in touch with wildlife and so forth and and uh, it, it was an amazing thing to me as a kid to learn that you go up to the trap and there's nothing but a foot there you know some animals literally chew their foot off to get out of the trap they really do i'm not making that up they'll chew their foot off to get out of the trap uh, they and, and and if they don't do that, they'll struggle and struggle and struggle. They will totally exhaust themselves trying to get out of that trap. So, you know, that's the picture here. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter or a bird from the hand of the fowler. Just as a wild animal do anything to get away, he's saying do everything that you can. Over the years, I've oftentimes somewhere near the end of a funeral service would make reference to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10 where it says, Do with thy might all of those things that thy hands find to do. You know, that's what the word diligent is really all about. It's doing the best you can as soon as you can. Uh, It's putting everything you've got into it. And and we need to be diligent in our efforts rather than half-hearted. And I think one of, one of the problems that that a lot of us sometimes have is whenever we've got a need or a problem, a situation, and uh, we say, well, you know, maybe we'll even ask our friends, pray about this with me, would you? And, and so we pray about it, but we don't do anything else about it. In other words, you get the picture here. Let's suppose Solomon's son is the the man we're talking about, and he has become surety for one of his friends, and... You know, he could pray every night. Oh, dear Lord, I pray that you'll bless my dear friend. Give him lots of money. Help him to pay his debt. Uh, You know, Lord, help this to not fall upon me and upon my family. Uh, Help us to, you know, to to not end up bankrupting ourselves by trying to help somebody else. You know, a lot of times we excuse ourselves from duty based on the fact that we've prayed about it. And, you know, that's not good enough. God expects us to do more than just pray about something. He expects us to do what we can to answer our prayer. And whenever we we think about, you know, dear Lord, provide all of my needs. Dear Lord, you know that you promised in Philippians 4.19 that all of my needs would be provided and so forth. And... uh, and we act like that it's okay for us to mismanage our money and then whenever we're in a desperate situation, go to God and expect Him to bail us out. And it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. He has never promised to, to bail us out if we mismanage our money or our time or what, whatever it is, you see. And so we need to be diligent in our effort. And, and that's true whether it's in this case trying to 
trying to make sure that this debt doesn't fall back upon you or whatever area of your life is. If it is a responsibility, a a legitimate duty, something that we ought to do, we ought to put everything we've got into it. I only had one pastor in my lifetime, and I'll never forget just as a brand-new Christian and him emphasizing the need, uh, you know, to do a good job for the Lord. And he said, you know, if I, if I was the janitor in the church, he'd always pull out his hanky. And we had the, that old paneling on the walls back then. He said, if all I was was a knothole polisher, he said, and he'd run over to the wall and he'd get his hanky out and he'd start rubbing on a knot hole. He said, I'd make sure I had that knot hole shined, you know, the very best it could be. You know, that's, that's the approach we need to take. It's like the old saying, God feeds the sparrow, but he didn't throw the worm in the nest. And, you know, we can sit back and every week we can pray, Oh, dear Lord, we know we've got an anniversary service coming up and we'd really like to break our attendance record and so forth. But if that's all we do, you know, I've, I've really got my doubts that, you know, that God's going to bless what we're, what we're, well, what we ought to be doing. If we want God's blessings, we've got to do our best to answer our own prayer. And so he says to his son, look, you need to take care of business. Don't even go to sleep. Go to your friend, and he says, deliver thyself. Just like you are an animal that's trapped in a trap or a bird that's trapped in a cage, do everything you can to get out from under this debt that could absolutely ruin you financially. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in verse number 6 and... Uh, I never forget that we used to in vacation Bible school years and years ago. We had a we had a series that we taught for years, God's Strange Preachers, and we're we're going to look at one of those next week when we get down here to verse six. Go to the ant, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that little ant. And uh, by the way, it just picks up where we're leaving off right now, and uh, ties right in with it as he warns us about the danger of slothfulness. And so, Lord willing, we'll be there next week.